0: Greetings listeners and listener land, welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, government, health history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. We originate from and connect the Gateway City to what is happening regionally, nationally, and internationally. Mark
1: Langston, how are you today, sir? (laughs) The intro always gets me, Arnold. You know that. It's like you can leap. Tall buildings in, in a, a single, single band, bound, right? right up in the sky, <laughs> and you're faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. All right, look out! It's Arnold. We're dating ourselves now.
0: <laughs> oh no, that was Superman, folks, with George Reeves. If you're not familiar mm. with that particular, those particular yeah. word associations, that was a long time ago, it was.
1: That was the early '60s, I think.
0: I even think late '50s. Oh my! I'm believing that. Ooh. And
1: when he. They actually had a great shot of him flying through the sky too. Mm. Yeah, he used to have those springboards when he'd come running up and he'd jump and he'd take off. It was all on a springboard there, and he did that. And and another little piece of trivia: I don't know why I know all this because I liked Superman when I was like three. The boots that he wore were the same boots that the guy before him. There was a they had a Superman like in, ser- series. Series, right. I think about a year before George Reeves took it over, and, and it's, it was the same boots. I don't know why I remember really? this. This is really... Are they too cheap to buy a new set? Or? I would think that's probably what it all had to do with. I hope this. they weren't too big or too small. Yeah. Well, who knows? I know. it's They're lucky if they fit. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm done.
0: Our return to civility. <laughs> it's about that. From the Speed of Laughter Project by John Sweeney, wipe off equipment after you've used it at the gym. Oh, Now, this was especially during COVID, but nobody went to the gym in COVID. But most gyms supply free towels and cleaner in the workout area. This Mm -hmm. practice also helps reduce the spread of germs. Wow! So wipe off equipment after you've used it at the gym.
1: Gets kind of gross. I can't say that I have been in a gym to know if that's true or not. (laughs) I know. I probably should go to a gym at my age. It's always good to stay healthy. Yes i'm on the elder task force with the city of maplewood because i'm an old mayor Mm -hmm. you know and uh, we did a we did an elder seminar and we brought in some physical therapists and it was interesting to hear them talk that if you're getting old and you're having trouble walking it's because you're not exercising if you exercise you'll be fine so the key to all of it, as you age, I never age, is to really walk and walk. Walking is good for you. And exercise. But they say, yeah, if you're starting to lose your balance and it's getting hard, it's because you're not trying. It's because you're not exercising. Keeps your right. Just neurons to, firing up there in your brain. Boy, that was a big, long explanation for something so small. But there you have it.
0: <laughs> there we go. We're going to have some explanations of really a key component that has been proposed by Citizens for Greater Downtown St. Louis. We have Les Sturman in studio. Les, how you doing today? All right. I'm doing great. I don't know if I can
2: top that banter, uh, that, the lead-in. But. It's
1: good to have Les with us.
2: <laughs> by the way, you talk about walking. That was, my wife and I, that was our big pandemic activity when you couldn't Mm -hmm. do much of anything else that was part of the great part of living downtown walking down to the arch every day which is wow a round trip from our condos about three miles and we got in that habit and we're still doing it so that's great uh, so there was a positive impact of the pandemic one of the few there you Mm
0: -hmm. go there you go so les is a chair of the citizens for greater downtown st louis a little disclaimer I'm a member of that group, just to put things in perspective for listeners. Mm-hmm. But the questions I'm going to ask less are questions, I think, that have come up along the way, and people may be wondering who are listening, like, what is Citizens for a Greater Downtown St. Louis? Who are they? What do they do?
2: Well, I like to describe us as a network of people that are passionate about, ta- about downtown and people who want to solve problems and make the neighborhood better. There's sort of a history that I could go through. I'm not sure you want to hear it, but but right now I describe us as a network. Yeah, I'm. I we don't really have a formal board of directors anymore. We're just members. We've got about 17 members now, and it's growing. Yeah, people call me the chair, but
0: you're the lead a, dog.
2: Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Man. I'm the mouthpiece, I guess, oh, yeah. for the most part. I'm retired. Just about everybody else has a job. So I've got more time to do this than, than a lot of folks. But so, yeah, we're just all folks that really care about the neighborhood. Most of us are residents. Some are businesses. A couple are developers, real estate people. And we, we're we concerned about the conditions downtown, and we want to make a difference.
0: Now, there's been discussion, many things, about a five-point proposal, and it's available on the website, which is citizensforgreaterdowntown.org. And the five-point proposal, Les, who contributed to this document? We're going to get into each of the points a little bit because I don't believe that's been discussed in other media outlets like we're going to try to discuss them today. So who contributed to this document? So
2: it's really... Three organizations worked on it, ours, as well as the Downtown Neighborhood Association and something called the Downtown St. Louis Economic Development Council, which is primarily businesses. And most of the concepts contained in this, we've been talking about for years, and really just put them down on paper a couple of years ago. Part of the complaint is that all we do is complain. We talk about problems. Some of your listeners have probably seen the videos that have been posted of unfortunate events downtown, but our organization, I like to think, is more about solutions, and uh, which is why we have proposed this five-point plan, uh, most of which is not even about law enforcement. It's about regulatory actions and right. other things that we can all be doing to make downtown a whole lot safer.
0: So the five points, folks, are problem <clears throat> properties, liquor licensing unhoused populations cruising and general traffic lawlessness and surface parking lots so let's dig into this a little bit and and peel the onion back on each one of these problem properties I, I think when people think of problem properties they think of weeds overgrowing maybe windows broken out vacant buildings what exactly is contained in this because it's there are six subpoints to this particular thing and what we're talking about I'll just repart this there are too many properties downtown that, because of their function or the way they are managed, have become a principal source of crime and quality of life issues in the neighborhood. The proliferation of short-term rentals in residential buildings are a recent phenomenon due to low occupancy in some apartment buildings. Parties and events taking place in these units have generated fights, gunfire, and other lawless activities. So what is contained in this problem properties proposal? So there's a whole series of things. First
2: of all, we might talk about some examples of problem properties probably the poster boys for problem properties downtown or the shell gas station on tucker sometimes Mm -hmm. called
1: murder Murder shell
2: Shell, the rain nightclub which has been closed down which is on washington avenue and these are venues that sometimes for no fault of their own but other times because it's deliberate attracts folks that bring trouble people that are carrying guns people that are acting in a disorderly way, leading to fights, ultimately gunfire, and sometimes uh, shootings. So that's one kind of problem property. Mm-hmm. What we've seen in the last few weeks is these short-term rentals. Some people call them Airbnbs. That's one company, but, right. but, but these short-term rentals are listed in a variety of ways. So the block, one block away from me are two buildings that together have about 40 of these short-term rentals. People rent them out to hold parties. They get out of hand. They spill out on the street. There are fights. There's more gunfire, speeding cars, crashes, all sorts of things. So there's just a variety of categories of these properties. Yeah, if you're in the suburbs, if your neighbor doesn't mow their grass, that's considered a problem property. It's a little more serious in in the city, in particular downtown. The New Life Evangelistic Center at one point was operated in a way that just created a lot of trouble, created a lot of folks out on the street panhandling, in, in some cases committing violent crimes. I think we all have empathy for the unhoused, but if we're going to provide services, we've got to do it in the right way Correct. that really supports them and instead of just turning them out on the street to create problems.
0: So some of the suggestions that <clears throat> citizens came up with for these problem properties in the five-point proposal List some of those. Talk about some of those.
2: For example, on the short-term rentals, we have written a, an ordinance. I spent a lot of time working on that, looking at other cities and what's what works and what doesn't work. So we actually drafted an ordinance that uh, we provided to the Board of Aldermen that we think would largely control the these kinds of properties. Still allow them, of course, but do it in a way that doesn't lead to these kind out of out-of-control situations. We've been asking the Board of Aldermen to do this for at least three years now. And there are always promises that, yeah, we're working on it. We got a draft. We never saw anything. And so finally, we wrote our own ordinance. And it's become such an obvious problem now that the city has proposed an ordinance. I think it's basically come out of the mayor's office, got a sponsor in the Board of Aldermen. But it's a weak ordinance. It doesn't provide for the kind of controls that we think are necessary. So that we can do that to try to address the issue.
0: What are some of those controls that you mentioned there that really are more beefed up in this proposal or in the draft
2: mm-hmm. than
0: what is being proposed right now in the Board of Aldermen?
2: I think there are a variety of things you can do. Number one, you can require people to rent these units for more than one night. It's the one-night rentals that are causing the problem. We also call for the platforms themselves So Airbnb, VRBO, there's a whole bunch of others. They have to be licensed as well, and they have to follow certain practices, and they have to be able to enforce the rules that are imposed by the city. And then if you have a short-term rental, you have to be listed on one of those licensed services. So that makes it pretty easy for the city to monitor. One of the problems with regulations, particularly in the city of St. Louis, is you have to be able to enforce them. And there's a couple of thousand short-term rentals in the city. The building commissioner has got his hands full right now right. trying to do his job. And this would be a very difficult thing. So we, you have to try to leverage those services that are out there that, and use them to collect taxes. They're supposed to pay hotel, motel taxes and supposed to have a business license, all of those things. Trying to chase down 2,000 different units is, is a really difficult enforcement problem. That's one way of dealing with it, If basically working through these listing services and holding them accountable for uh, addressing some of the issues. So, yeah, things like that. I mean, there are a variety of details about selling alcohol in these units, all sorts of things that are incorporated in the ordinance, but those are two of the main things. that
0: Do really, owners have to live there, or can they, like own another piece of property, not live there and use that for a short-term rental. Is that part of the proposal that is that has been proposed by citizens?
2: Yeah, I think if the owner lives there and has lived there and lives there while it's being rented, there's probably fewer concerns with that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But we have individual owners that rent multiple units. We have landlords, for example, of large buildings that we see one in particular on the next block from me where they have trouble renting the units. So they put a large number of them out there as short term rentals and without adequate security and monitoring and management. <clears throat> so we, we see that kind of situation as well. And that those are the kinds of situations that really lead to trouble.
0: This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis in Tomb. We're talking to Les Sturman about the five point proposal that Citizens for Greater Downtown St. Louis has put out to the public and we just we're just talking about the first point, problem properties. We're going to go to the second point, which is liquor licensing. That's, this has become a big issue, and it's discussed a lot in the city, especially downtown, that maybe the liquor licensing is too hard to get, and now people will go out to the county because they're frustrated, or they'll get their restaurant going, but they haven't gotten their liquor license yet, and maybe they don't get it because of there's not enough individuals in the a zone where they're supposed to get signatures that approve of that. But there's another side to that, and that's the commission itself. So, once you talk about liquor licensing, its disruptive establishments create quality of life issues such as excessive noise, general disorder, and periodic violence. If a large residential population is going to live along busy commercial thoroughfares, then there needs to be appropriate regulatory tools and enforcement to allow bars and entertainment venues to coexist with residential properties.
2: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I wonder who wrote that. Yeah, <laughs> recently a lot of the a, a lot of the bar owners and prospective bar owners are complaining how hard it is to get a liquor license in the city and it's not an easy process. It shouldn't be. No, it, that's the point. And uh, the president of the Board of Aldermen was saying that she wants it to be just as easy to get a liquor license in the city of St. Louis as it is in the city of Baldwin. And my son happens to be the city manager in Baldwin, but the suburban situation is totally different from the city of St. Louis. Right. In the suburbs, you might be on Manchester Road. You're not in a residential area. Typically, establishments that sell liquor are not located in residential areas. Far away from them. In the city, you're embedded in residential areas. The first floor of an apartment building might have a bar in it. There are a nightclub surrounded on all four sides by residential buildings. So it's a very different situation. And in the city, you're required effectively to get the permission of surrounding neighbors within 350 feet of your front door. You've got to get a majority of them signing a petition to allow you to get a license. It's not an easy process to chase folks around and get their signature, but that's the way the neighborhood maintains some control. So that's an important process. And if we do away with that process, we're really taking great risks. The idea that somebody who wants to open a bar in the city is going to go out to Chesterfield or something if they can't open it, to me, that's laughable. And people should, shouldn't should take that seriously. As everyone knows, the city of St. Louis has lots of bars and restaurants serving alcohol. We don't seem to have any shortage of them. So clearly, people have been able to comply with the existing ordinance and, and do business. The secondary problem is that the Department of the City that regulates these establishments is the excise division. The excise division is very poorly staffed. They just they don't have enough folks to oversee these establishments, make sure they're following the law, not serving liquor to underage folks, not being in a place where there's a lot of violence. We had a, an establishment on Cherokee with it's had multiple murders in front of and the bar owner says, well. They didn't take place inside the establishment, but they're customers. So that's the kind of thing that the excise division needs to monitor, and they need to revoke licenses when necessary, but they just don't have the staff or the skills in some cases to do that. And we certainly support them being staffed up appropriately. The other aspect is the police are responsible to some degree for If you're selling alcohol without a license, and we had a situation downtown recently uh, that I think you're familiar with, Arnold, Mm -hmm. where somebody just opened up and started serving alcohol and food, didn't have any of the appropriate licenses. The excise department says, well, since they didn't have a license, that's not our job. That's the police department's to close them down. And the police department says, well, that's the excise division. So you get that kind of situation. So a lot of it is really administrative and can be cleaned up and and make it easier for businesses to open establishments. But if what we mean by streamlining that is basically taking the neighborhood out of the equation and allowing anybody to open a bar,
0: serve liquor,
2: that's going to just lead to more problems.
0: You've mentioned something on both of these that is a linkage. And it's a lack of resources by the city to enforce some of these things. You talked about a lack of individuals for problem properties to go out and take care of these, a lack of individuals in the excise division to take care of these things. What is the, what's the give on that? Is it because there's not enough people is, who want to apply for these jobs? I know I'm probably, I should be asking this to City Hall. There's not enough money in these jobs. The city has all of this money that they've had windfall in. And I know it. once you start hiring somebody at a certain level, you have to continue that salary. But do they have open positions or do you know about that? Or
2: Yeah, that's probably a question better directed to City Hall. My own opinion is it's all of the above that the money is there, the positions are open, they could be hiring. But some of it is lack of will by the city to address the problem.
0: Is it deliberately lack of will? I know there's a lot of good people that work for city government. And like in any organization, there's really dedicated employees and there's people who are, I would say, less than dedicated. And is it spread like that? Is it just, or just I feel so overwhelmed, I can't, I don't know where to start, or is, well, I'm not going to worry about that until there's a big issue, or I'm just not going to deal with it at all.
2: It's a cliche, but I think it's really lack of leadership or anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arnold, I know you've been in a leadership position, I've been in a leadership mm-hmm. position, and you, ultimately, you're accountable. Correct. If you see a problem, you don't say, well, that's my department head's problem, I can't deal with it. You say, I'm going to demand that people perform perform at a high level. And if you need help, I'm going to get you the help. Mm -hmm. I just don't see that happening in City Hall.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Have other cities developed different kind of licensing procedures, more stringent, like to apply the money is, you have to put more money, I think it's $500 here in the city of St. Louis. Are there more penalties or do licenses get revoked or things like that?
2: Yeah, there are different processes in other cities that we think work better. Some cities have, a, quote, a medallion system where mm-hmm. they limit the number of licenses overall. And in most cities, it's the cost for a license is much higher. So that keeps out a lot of folks who really shouldn't be in business
0: especially those who maybe this is their first time. I've always wanted to open a bar. I've always wanted to have a restaurant. What's your experience? And we've heard this before mm. on, on calls where we're listening to people do a proposal. And it's like, what experience do you have? I, well, I, I don't have any. None. And this is not the venue downtown st louis to open up a bar or a restaurant and expect to be successful maybe if you've had several opportunities or tries this is personal opinion but Mm -hmm. you know it's just you just don't go do that because you've always wanted to do that it's a a disaster is going to happen
2: yeah we've actually seen that happen you may have heard the explanation of the former owner of the rain nightclub when she came to the neighborhood association and said I just always wanted a fine dining restaurant so I could cook my family's recipes and it was a wonderful story she'd never been in the restaurant business never been any kind of business and and from day one it, let's just say it wasn't that kind of business
0: it wasn't that we're talking to Les Sturman and we're going to come back after our break we'll get more into the five-point proposal that Citizens for a Greater Downtown St. Louis has proposed this is Arnold Strick with Mark Langston of St. Louis in Tune stay right with us This is Arnold Stricker of St. Louis in Tune on behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation. In 1857, the Dred Scott decision was a major legal event and catalyst that contributed to the Civil War. The decision declared that Dred Scott could not be free because he was not a citizen. The 14th Amendment, also called the Dred Scott Amendment, granted citizenship to all born or naturalized here in our country and was intended to overturn the U.S. Supreme Court decision on July 9, 1868. The Dred Scott Heritage Foundation is requesting a commemorative stamp to be issued from the U.S. Postal Service to recognize and remember the heritage of this amendment by issuing a stamp with the likeness of the man Dred Scott. But we need your support and the support of thousands of people who would like to see this happen. To achieve this goal, we ask you to download, sign, and share the one-page petition with others. To find the petition, please go to DredScottLives.org and click on the Dred Scott Petition Drive on the right side of the page. On behalf of the Dred
1: Scott Heritage Foundation, this has been Arnold Stricker of St. Louis In Tune. At St. Louis In Tune, we strive to bring you informative, useful, and reflective stories, as well as interviews about current and historic issues and events that involve people, places, and things. We cover a wide range of topics, such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports, and that's just to name a few. While St. Louis Intune originates from the Gateway City and covers local topics, we also connect to what's going on nationally as well. If you missed any of our previously aired programs of St. Louis Intune, simply visit stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. There you'll find the show notes and everything that was mentioned in that episode and all the other great episodes as well. And if you've got an area that you'd like us to examine deeper, well, just let us know by dropping us a note at stlintune at gmail.com. That's stlintune at gmail.com. St. Louis in Tune. It's heard Monday through Friday on the usradionetwork.com and many great radio stations around the U.S., and, of course, right here in St. Louis. Our website, again, is stlintune.com. Visit us today. That's stlintune.com. Do <laughs> you love this song? I do. I'm always there. Like, Welcome back
0: to St. Louis In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. We are talking to Les Sturman from Citizens for Greater Downtown St. Louis, and we're talking about the Five Point Proposals. Les, uh, tell people a little bit about yourself, because you've lived downtown for quite a while. You've worked for an organization that had downtown and the metropolitan area in your heart.
2: Describe uh, that for a minute. Very much so. First of all, if you can't tell from the way I'm talking, I'm from New York City originally. Uh, New York. <laughs> yeah, most people can tell right away. I've been here for like 45 years, but...
1: It doesn't ever go away. It
2: doesn't ever go away. No. So, yeah, we moved here in 1978, and I took a job with the East-West Gateway Council of Governments, which is the, which is an organization of local governments in eight counties plus the city of St. Louis, kind of what we think of as the metropolitan area of St. Louis. And in 83, I became executive director of the organization, and I was executive director for 25 years and we did a variety of things we uh, we allocated hundreds of millions of dollars in federal funds to transportation projects through the region we had a staff of 60 or 70 people mm-hmm. uh, engineers and research people and public policy experts we developed research reports about the region, did a great report while I was there on fiscal reform, one that I'm pretty proud of. We basically conceived of the Metrolink system initially Mm -hmm. and and did all the early planning work and some of the design work for Metrolink. So many of the big transportation projects were developed under the auspices of East-West Gateway. Probably about halfway through my tenure of East-West Gateway, we began to think about not just physical infrastructure, but human infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And we we had a number of projects. We got foundation money to pursue something called the Jobs Initiative, which was a big tra- jobs training endeavor. We produced and still produce a report called Where We Stand, which compares St. Louis to other metropolitan areas. It's a statistical comparison Hmm. of St. Louis to other metropolitan areas. We've been doing that since the early 90s. New edition out every two or three years. It's available on the website, which I think is also a valuable product of the organization. And it really tells a story about who we are. We sometimes got some criticism for doing it because it's not a very pretty picture, unfortunately. But it tells us where we've got to improve and we've got to focus our efforts. So... Yeah, I was there for 25 years and then my retirement job was rebuilding the levee system in that protects the American Bottoms in Illinois. Okay. Which is where all the chemical factories are, wow. and warehouses and many communities, East St. Louis and Granite City and Alton and so many others, which was an important piece of work and I'm happy to say that, that was a
0: good way to wind up my paid professional career sure so we've been talking about the five-point proposals and the first one was problem properties the second liquor licensing the third one unhoused populations downtown has recently become the home for a disproportionate number of homeless service providers and panhandling drug dealing And drug use and encampments on public property are just some of the issues resulting from downtown's role as the region's home for unhoused populations. This is a rather lengthy section, and it deals with a variety of areas. Why don't you explain some of what the proposal is related to unhoused populations? As you just
2: read, Arnold, I think the big problem we have downtown is... First of all, you need to understand downtown. It's a complicated place. We've got the sporting venues. We've got conventions, a growing residential population, offices, entertainment venues. So it's a complicated area to manage. And over the years, it has become, it has developed into a a place where there's concentrated numbers of unhoused folks, in part because we have service providers down there, St. Patrick's Center.
0: Used to before, be New the, Life the Evangelistic. The former
2: New Life Evangelistic Center. And so that, that brings its own set of challenges. There's a lot of panhandling. There's people sleeping on sidewalks. It just makes it difficult for everybody to, to coexist. And this is a regional problem. It's not the problem of, It shouldn't be the problem, sole problem of downtown or the city of St. Louis. Many of the unhoused folks that are here are coming from other places. In some cases, deliberately, you know, dropped off in downtown. That's led to the drug dealing. Mm-hmm. There's places where you can, it's right out in the open, public drug dealing. That drug dealers prey on these populations.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Encampments that have gotten quite a bit of media coverage. Right. All of this is a problem that we've got to deal with, and to do it in, a, in an appropriate and humane way Obviously, the solution is ultimately is having some long term housing.
0: Now, there's housing first, as mentioned in this. Right. Some sort of community treatment teams support funding for housing first, off the grid providers, and then the continuum of care, which is actually the city has is utilizing. Wasn't that changed recently? Or
2: yeah, it's. I think the sort of the management of that process is. Shifted from the city administration to a not-for-profit. We'll have to see how that works out. I know people are hopeful about that. But ultimately, we need a coordinated regional approach to dealing with the unhoused. Frankly, our problem is not nearly as serious as it is in so many other cities. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the national news, places like Phoenix and Los Angeles and San Francisco are really struggling with huge numbers of unhoused we haven't reached that stage but nonetheless it's it's an issue particularly it's all focused in one area like downtown
0: a fourth area cruising and general traffic lawlessness and we hear this and see this downtown quite a bit it's negatively affected by the downtown area is negatively affected by this motorcycles we see atvs driving up and down doing going on two wheels up and down the sidewalks minibikes and the city kind of addresses this in a short-term kind of thing, but it seems that a long-term strategy has always been out of their grasp. And there are some solutions that are brought up here in the cruising and general traffic lawlessness. Why don't you mention some of those?
2: Well, yeah, obviously, I think the traffic lawlessness is really getting to people a day doesn't go by where i don't see multiple people just going through red lights it's now traffic signals are a suggestion they're right. not they're it's gotten
1: know. really bad i think it's gotten worse yeah i mean even on the way over here today i mean they just they do not even stop at the stop signs anymore Yeah. even if i have a green light i'm looking both ways yeah well the lights are bad and the stop signs are bad too yeah. i mean it is it's i don't know what happened it's just like the last year i've noticed it more maybe it's always been there but it just seems to have gotten a little bit more out of hand. You're right, and I think he's right. It's a suggestion, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, which is sad.
2: Well, I think we saw that in the beginning of the pandemic when right. there were not a lot of vehicles on the road, and just people started to not a lot of cops around, and people just decided it didn't matter anymore. And and candidly, there's virtually no enforcement. We've seen people speeding, running through red lights with, with a police car right there, right. and and there are no consequences. So these things contribute to the sense of lawlessness that mm-hmm. I think ultimately does lead to more violent types of crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just downtown. It's in the city of St. Louis.
0: It's everywhere. Pretty much right. generally.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then there's the historical problem of cruising downtown. Mm-hmm. And it, this has been a problem for years. It got a lot worse again during the pandemic. And we saw violent crimes associated with cruising. And so the variety, there are f- some physical solutions to that to try to make it less convenient to be mm-hmm. cruising down the big, wide street. This is sometimes known as traffic calming. So there are some physical solutions. There are strategic street closures you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing is perfect. There was a huge cruising problem down on Lenore K. Sullivan on the right. riverfront. And the solution is to close the riverfront, well... To everybody. Yeah, and this is this is supposed to be one of our assets as a city and for downtown, and to have to close it is really not productive in the end, so we got to find some other, other solutions, but they're out there. We tend to look at the police as the solution for everything, and much like all these other things we've suggested, a lot of it is regulatory and being smart, how you do things, mm-hmm. Uh, some of it is physical mm-hmm. design, but you can basically make our city less attractive to problems. And it just needs to be a coordinated strategy to do that. And, and cruising and traffic issues are certainly are amenable to those kinds of solutions. You know,
0: something as simple as talking to motorcycle and car clubs about the issue and how there can be some kind of joint resolution to make everybody quote-unquote happy.
2: Yeah, and the, but there is an enforcement component as well. When you see somebody on a four-wheeler doing wheelies, going through red lights, I mean, that vehicle needs to be confiscated. I saw in New York they where this was rampant, and they confiscated a ton of vehicles, and the mayor was pictured at a...
0: They destroyed at, them in public.
2: At a crusher, crushing them all. The unregistered vehicles, we have that problem as well. People think that Paying sales tax on a new vehicle or a used vehicle is just discretionary. And and we've given them no reason to think otherwise. Mm
0: -hmm. And hopefully the state has resolved that in some recent legislation. We'll see how that works. Wow we'll go to our fifth one here surface parking lots and law enforcement officials maintain that securing law enforcement officials maintain securing surface parking lots would greatly reduce crime and other disorderly behavior and we've seen this rash of car break-ins and things being stolen firearms being stolen and at large events also and this seems fairly simple And I know that there's been a proposal also, an ordinance, a draft ordinance for this also.
2: Well, Arnold, as you know, nothing is simple. Certainly not in this city. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so we have this a large number of big surface parking lots. And what has happened over the years is they've generally all been automated. There used to be a parking lot attendant who Mm -hmm. took your your money and gave you a ticket to put on your dashboard, but he kept an eye on the lot. And the parking lot operators just don't want to pay for that labor. They put in these kiosks where you put your money in and you park your car in a numbered space, and there's nobody to keep an eye on it. And then we have the other problem, which in the pandemic, people needed places to gather. So they gathered on these large parking lots, they shut off guns and fireworks, uh, there were fights this, with this one one lot right behind my building where you could sell tickets watching what Mm -hmm. went on there. So these lots are basically insecure, and they lead to things like the 30 cars being broken into near Bush Stadium last weekend. So we, again, have written an ordinance to, to deal with that. It basically requires that all parking lots in the downtown area primarily be fenced and gated so that you couldn't just drive into the lot basically unencumbered. That legislation was introduced in the Board of Aldermen last session. Obviously, it was vigorously opposed by the parking lot operators, but also, ironically, by the Cardinals and some of the other big businesses downtown. We don't even know why they opposed it, but the St. Louis Parking Company, which is the largest owner and operator of parking lots in downtown, probably in the region, opposed it. Bottom line, they want to spend the money to do it. We know this wouldn't solve all the problems. If you really want to walk onto a lot, you can walk through the right. gate. But we think it would go a long way to addressing some of these problems that we're seeing on these lots.
0: It's very similar to any kind of deterrent. If somebody, an individual is engaging in that kind of action or behavior, if they see a deterrent there versus one where there isn't, they're going to go to the place where I'm not going to be deterred. I'm not going to have to crawl over a fence. Here, I can I'd have to crawl over a fence. I don't have to crawl over a fence here. I'm going to go over here. I get that, and it would help. And like you said, it's not going to solve all the issues. But yeah,
2: and that was one of the criticisms. Well, this won't make the lots perfectly safe. Well,
0: I don't. I've never seen a
2: perfect lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's that old story of the perfect being the enemy of the good. From what we've observed, there are many people parking on these lots. The lot in back of me case in point. When the sun goes down, people park there. They don't pay. And when you talk to the operator of the lot, they say, well, it's too dangerous for us to send a guy out there and ticket these cars or tow them. So they're losing a lot of revenue as, it's, as it stands. And so we think – and we have some some actual data that suggests that they can recover their costs in a relatively small period of time. They just don't want to do it.
0: Right. Now, all of these proposals, it seems to me that they would be very beneficial for downtown – but they would also benefit the rest of the city of St. Louis if they were had some meat to them and actually were instigated.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Obviously, our concern is for the downtown neighborhood, but we've tried to tell people that most of these strategies would be very effective everywhere in mm-hmm. the city. Mm-hmm. Things like problem properties and liquor licensing and surface parking lots and traffic lawlessness, that applies to every neighborhood, not just downtown. We're not special in that respect. We think downtown is special in other ways, but in terms of these strategies, there's no question they would be useful all over the city.
0: We're talking to Les Sturman. He is from Citizens for Greater Downtown St. Louis. Little disclaimer, I am also a part of the group. I'm asking him questions about the five-point proposal from Citizens. And this is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis Intune. A couple other things here, Les. I know mentioned in the five-point plan, it's the five point across the board. Why don't you guys just focus on parking lots? Why does it have to be all of this? What's your response to that?
2: Well, I think you really need to do all of it to to make the neighborhood safe. And most of the things are not hard to do. As I said before, most of them are regulatory in nature. It's just really everybody doing their jobs. Mm And I think you need a comprehensive approach to security. You can't do any one thing or another. You really have to have a comprehensive kind of approach. And that's one thing we've pushed the city to do is put out a safety and security plan for downtown. Right. It's not so hard. We feel like we've given you the elements of it. Take it, use it, however you choose. But show us a plan. Just don't say, well, there are going to be more cops this weekend. That's typically the response. Right and then what happens the following weekend and the one after that. That's right. I'm a planner by background, and so I believe in thinking about what you're doing and actually having a plan and then executing that plan. So, yeah, I don't think any, doing any one thing is necessarily going to solve a problem.
0: So how does not doing this impact tourism and conventions, and how does doing this impact tourism and conventions? In your opinion.
2: Yeah, as we know just from reading the media and reading comments that people are making that St. Louis has had a lot of reputational damage from all of this. The cops like to tell us it's just perception that crime is down. You know, we don't believe that, but even if it is perception, that's what convention goers believe. Right. And the convention goers are being told, Well, don't leave your hotel at night or stay within a certain confined area. And this is the message that's going out. And uh, there was an article in the Business Journal yesterday, I think, by uh, quote, extensively quoting Bob O'Loughlin, who owns the Hilton and Union Station and a bunch of other hotels around town. And he said, it's, we need to address this because it's hurting business, it's hurting his business. When we had the unfortunate incident of the young woman who was so severely injured right. during the volleyball tournament, You'd have to be crazy not to know that that has an impact on the kinds of people who are trying to book conventions. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean it's and conventions are a big part of the city's economy, mm-hmm. the region's economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know from living down there when a convention's in town, and all the restaurants are full, right? And people are out walking the streets. That's just great for the city, and we lose that, we diminish that. It's a real problem.
0: What kind of response has the plan gotten from, or the proposal received from city leaders or anybody at city hall or any of the aldermen or anything like that? Any response?
2: From the administration, it's been crickets. I mean, they've had this proposal for a couple of years now. Interestingly enough, about a year ago, they denied that they had ever seen it, which they were actually presented it in person. I have some hope. We've got some new aldermen downtown, uh, Kara Spencer and Rasheen Aldridge. Uh, We met with them earlier this week. I thought it was a good meeting, and uh, I think their ears are are open and responsive, so I feel pretty good about that, and uh, we'll see. Uh, They're both pretty serious-minded individuals, Mm -hmm. and kind of starting fresh for both of them, representing downtown is brand new, and so they they got an earful, I think, Monday night when they met with us. But they were good about it, and they listened to everybody, including you. And so I, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to see a change in the way things are t-
0: Mentioned in the plan, or the proposal several times, quality of life issues. And I think of just not for residents who live there, but people who work downtown, people who come downtown to engage in some of the businesses, whether it be retail establishments or restaurants like that. But this is something that can actually make retail establishments prosper if many of these issues are addressed. Because we hear on in the media, I don't want to come downtown because I'm too frightened or I'll get carjacked or my car will get broken too. So it's changing this environment. And Is there a will to do it? What is it going to take to implement something like this five-point proposal in the area here?
2: First of all, you have to – there needs to be a recognition that downtown is important
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and that is sort of the economic center of the city and the region. It's a precious asset and it needs to be preserved and sustained so that there can be a thriving neighborhood there as strange as it is to say and to hear, I don't think people have accepted that. Occasionally they'll say it, but they haven't acted on it. So I think that's really the first step more more than anything else. Part of the problem is people don't talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So you have a citizens group like ours, and yeah, we can be a little feisty and we're kind of a squeaky wheel, but you have the Downtown Neighborhood Association and some others. It's really up to the city to get everybody together and roll up their sleeves and say, how can we Address this, right? Because this is important. I don't. That's not hard to do. Maybe we won't all agree on everything, but I am totally confident that we couldn't come up with an approach that everyone would support. And I think that's really the first step to getting something done.
0: When I think about some of the these issues in particular, I think about many of the wonderful things that get ignored in downtown that, and you mentioned one right at the front end of the show, was walking down to the arch grounds. I want to list some of these. And Mark, these areas are just downtown, and some of them are museums, and people go, oh, museums. But I want you to listen to this list. The Central Public Library, the National Blues Museum, the Fieldhouse Museum, the Soldiers Memorial Museum, the Old Courthouse, the City Museum, the Economy Museum at the Federal Reserve, the Campbell House, The Scott Joplin House, the Gateway Arch National Park, the Old Post Office, the Old Cathedral, Union Station where they have the Grand Hall, the Wheel, the Aquarium, City Garden, the Stiefel Theater, and I'm not counting the large, quote-unquote, sporting venues, okay? These are places that give downtown character and that people want to go see, and many times They're swept out to sea, my metaphor, because Mm -hmm. of all of the action going on and all of the negative publicity. Mm -hmm. But these are wonderful venues. We live in a great city. We have a wonderful downtown. There's some issues, these issues, that need to get some push behind them to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Or what's unfortunate is we're going to see some debilitation and future growth just stall building
2: on what you just said about the assets in downtown Mm -hmm. people are always asking me with all this going on how can you still live downtown what's wrong with you
1: yeah good question and it is it's a good question i
2: say to people what there's no other place in the united states where you can hang out in a national park in the morning go to a professional major league baseball game at noon have a nice Mm -hmm. dinner and then go to a professional hockey game or soccer game at night
0: mm-hmm.
2: without getting into your car, right. All paying for parking, yeah. without sitting in traffic, and then be home in bed by 10 o'clock at night. Where else can you walk to the grocery store, you get your clothes cleaned, mm-hmm. go to the movies mm-hmm. without getting into your car? It's a wonderful neighborhood. It's a precious neighborhood. That's why it's so frustrating that we can't recognize that and support it by doing some relatively simple things to make sure that it's still there for our kids and grandkids.
0: Right.
1: Great point. Mm-hmm. Great ending point on that. Yeah. Is it the lack of police? Sometimes I hear that maybe we just don't have enough police. Even just doing a regular police beat or just cruising the neighborhoods, they're mostly answering calls instead of just driving through neighborhoods, getting to know the neighbors and the people and all those corners of a neighborhood that need to be known. Would that help, do you think, Les? Certainly. We all know that there just isn't enough police
2: presence downtown and it could improve. That alone, I don't think, solves the problem. I think Mm -hmm. that's part of it. But I think just managing downtown, paying attention, doing the things that we just described, Mm-hmm. For the last hour, I think if you do all those things, I think we got a great downtown and we're going to start to grow again. And and our property values are going to go up and people are going to enjoy downtown.
0: Mm-hmm. We'd love to see downtown thrive again. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We'd love to see the entire city thrive again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really appreciate you coming in and talk about this. And given this information, I believe it's valuable that people understand this. And again, folks, you can go to citizens for a greater downtown st louis website that is citizensforagreaterdowntown.org citizensforagreaterdowntown.org and you can actually download this five-point safety proposal there's also the ordinances proposed ordinances on service parking lots and short-term rentals that are there for your viewing and if you have questions you can contact Les or anyone for citizens for a greater mm-hmm. downtown and get some responses
1: back on that i think it's fantastic and thank you for hanging in there working on putting solutions together. These are challenges. I guess you could call them a problem, but I see them more as challenges to make this a better, greater city and a more accessible city. It is a great city. And you hate to see it fall on these kind of issues. You really just do. So I'm very grateful for what you and your friends are doing in your retirement even. You could very easily say, I'm retired, I'm done, but you don't, and I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah.
0: Well, Mark, that's all for this hour.
1: That's enough, is Yes.
0: i <laughs> got a lot to deep. That, that's some good stuff. Yeah. That's some good stuff. Okay. Folks, we thank you for listening. Don't forget, when the Martians invade, there's only one race, the human race, and every one of us have different characteristics and is uniquely valuable. St. Louis in Tune is a production of Motif Media Group and the U.S. Radio Network. For St. Louis in Tune, co-host Mark Langston. I'm Arnold Stricker. Remember to walk worthy and let your light shine.